Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. This episode talks about the seasonal affective disorder and addiction and how both of these things actually go hand in hand. And in my personal case, this is really passionate for me because um, in retrospect, my addiction was definitely fueled by my sadness and depression and from things from like bereavement with my dad and personal things and maybe some relationships and just life it gets to you and sometimes most of us go through life without knowing that we have underlying depressive symptoms um, and mental health symptoms or issues so this episode really really wants to focus on how seasonal affective disorder or SAD um, can um, really amplify our addictions and actually fuel our addictions. As we know, alcohol is a depressant. So when we go to alcohol to kind of deal with our mental health issues, it just kind of like really amplifies um, the underlying problems instead of helping it. So for many of us, we deal with these really cyclical cases of relapse and we um, have issues under um, dealing with our addiction or imagining a life without drinking or doing drugs because we're dependent on it, right? And um, we go through life without realizing that we suffer and may have these issues where we're affected based on certain points of the year um, with sadness and depression. Seasonal affective disorder is just that. This is a depressive disorder that falls under the major depressive disorders of the DSM-5, all right? So what that means is usually in the fall, winter months, you will see more cases of seasonal affective disorder or depressive symptoms. And for people who fall under this category, you would experience a lot of depression around this time, the fall or winter months. And um, it's really important, ladies and gentlemen, because sometimes we could go through life trying to figure out the root cause of our addiction. And there's many people who um, can't really see the connection between mental health and addiction, mental health and recovery. And the I know for a fact, and we all know during the holiday seasons, whether it's Thanksgiving, Halloween is definitely the jump off point from Halloween to New Year's Day. You see a lot of cases of people um, relapsing and you see cases of addiction and drinking and binging go, you know, skyrocket. And um, a lot of these times can be depressive times for people. So some of the things that may cause seasonal affective disorder, um, it could be sleep patterns. We notice a connection between low vitamin D levels. Um, during the fall and winter months is less sunlight so your body um, has less vitamin D vitamin D is a vital mineral that we need to, a, vi- a vital mineral that we need to take our body can't really um, produce it on its own because it's a metabolite of the sun so we need to take it in a supplement format and form and sometimes we have chronically low vitamin D levels the further away you are from the equator 
um, the more you may be prone to seasonal affective disorder, which is the SAD disorders. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So this is something that's real human, is real tangible, and this is real. And it really hits home for me. I remember, I'll tell you guys a quick story. I remember when I was in rehab. I would say about six months in was when I started being dispatched to see therapists and sit down with a psychiatrist. And so first I had to sit down with a therapist, someone that really beautiful woman. I had to just talk to her. I was able to just talk to her and just unload and just really get a lot of things off my chest. And I remember, um, you know, the weather was changing. So I got sober around December 15th. Oh, I got sober on, I started my journey on December 15th, um, 2012, right? And um, so you go January, February, March, April. So around April, May-ish, you know, I started going into therapy. So I remember when I got really a few sessions under my belt, my therapist said, look, we have to do a psych social and we have to, um, I'm going to recommend you see a psychiatrist. So at the time, I'm like, well, aren't you my psychiatrist? And she's like, no, I'm just your therapist. Your psychiatrist is going to actually be able to determine if you need medication. She's going to be able to do a full makeup on you and do a psych social and really just make sure we know what's going on with you mentally. And um, so we could take a mental health approach and see if there's anything going on there that may be fueling these the problems with your addiction, right? So I go meet my psychiatrist and she runs all her tests and she does everything. And then she tells me, she goes, well, you know, Pop, the thing about you, you have extremely low serotonin levels. And what that really means is that if I could, if it's on a scale, the average person, um, their happiness level, which is a tall level, let's just say that their happiness level is tall and, um, you're all the way down here. Okay. So you're, you're really unhappy and you're really sad, but you don't display the symptoms. You're very animated. You seem very excited. You seem very happy, but according to your serotonin levels, it's no, you know, and just the way we're psychiatrists, I'm telling you, this is an issue that you have. So we may have to give you medication to help you bring your serotonin levels up to a natural, healthy level. So this brings us into mental health, ladies and gentlemen. We know through addiction, addiction is a form of trauma, right? And any form of trauma causes neuroplasticity. Our brain changes through environmental factors, um, um, life factors, emotional factors. So anything could change your brain's constitution and structure, and that's neuroplasticity. So if it's a death in the family, that's going to affect your brain, eventually affect your mental health, either in a positive, negative way. It depends. Um, If you get hit on your head, dietary factors, emotional factors like your relationship or breakup, any type of loss, this will fuel um, some form of neuroplasticity. And in mental health, we look at three vital neurotransmitter hormones, dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine, right? And if these levels are not at a, in a healthy state, they're not at a healthy level. If they're too low, um, you fall into, you might display depressive symptoms or mental health symptoms or disorders. And it's a wide range. We know it's 
upward of a hundred different mental, different diagnoses or disorders. So in my case, I had really slow um, serotonin levels and I know I would really pick up my drinking and I would really get more depressed during the holiday time. So I think I had seasonal affective disorder myself and it's not a bad thing. It's just that somehow I was affected differently during these times of the year and it led to fatigue, um, 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 lack of sleep, um, increased alcohol use, and it amplified my alcohol use disorder. And at the time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm young. I got, I, I pretty much, my drinking pretty much ended in my late 20s going into my 30s. So I had the worst part of my episodes was from, I think, 29 to about 31, 32. That's when it was really bad. And I stopped around 31 going into 32. And that was it. So it was really a bad time. That's when all of those years of not dealing with the seasonal affective disorder, not dealing with the bereavement, not dealing with the mental health. I wasn't taking vitamin D. We live in New York. We're really far from the equator, right? Not a lot of sunlight. Um, I wasn't, I didn't have no mental health diagnosis. So I didn't know I needed neuro transmitter hormones um everything i was doing was it was all about drinking just to really feel better and cope and i was leaning on the alcohol but there's the here's the problem with that i have an allergy to alcohol so a normal person may have seasonal affective disorder and drink and may not have an allergy so they'll go to the bar blow off some steam go have a couple of cold ones you know how people like to make drinking sound spectacular um and they could get up the next day and go about their business. But in my case, I think, in retrospect and understanding myself, right, part of recovery is really trying to get a really good handle on who you are, what your journey looked like, what your recovery looked like, why you was addicted, what what caused it, what was the ups, what was the downs, what was the things that really, what was your triggers and all of these different things, what made, what caused the addiction to really go off the deep end and really get to this dark place, right, so I retraced my whole steps, I did the work, I really got to learn myself, I feel like for you to, for us to be successful in recovery, we have to have some form of self-mastery, right, um, so I had to really, 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 really figure this out and do the homework. And looking back, I just like, yo, it was a lot of things I didn't address. And I'm figuring I did like I didn't have bereavement counseling. I should have dealt with my father's death properly. I should have spoke to someone. I should have went to therapy sooner. I should have really did a better job of trying to figure out um how to deal with my addiction because it was problematic in my life, right? And although I didn't look sad, although I wasn't walking around crying, although I wasn't stuck in the bed all day, I still, according to my therapist and psychiatrist, was extremely sad and extremely depressed. So here we go. I would cope with the drinking, through drinking, but I didn't know I had an allergy. So I would use the drinking to self-medicate with the depression and the sadness and all of these issues, but I couldn't stop drinking because I'm allergic to alcohol. And what that means is when you're allergic to alcohol, you have one drink, you can't stop drinking. There's an issue with your dopamine levels and your drinking and your brain and your dopamine receptors. And we talk about this in other episodes, but 
pretty much alcohol takes place of your dopamine and then you just gonna keep drinking to feel better because you're gonna feel like crap after you drink and then the drink makes you feel better and then you're gonna feel more depressed and sad and more beaten down after you wake up the next day then you drink to feel better then you're gonna f- have fun while you drink it it's gonna be this little period of bliss and excitement which is extremely short-lived then you go to sleep and crash and you wake up and you feel more worse than you did the third day the fifth day it just keeps getting worse and you keep drinking more and it's a terrible cycle and it all could be traced back to two things there was an underlying depressive issue there was some seasonal affective disorder there some seasonal sadness there was some underlying bereavement issues that probably fueled this there was issues in my personal life that probably fuels this it could have been some trauma to my Brain, which could have fueled this. I, you know, I was into martial arts and all of these different things. I was a very active, athletic young man. I used to run up and down and jump off of everything and flip up and down and wrestle and fight and box. So we know trauma to the brain could cause issues. Either way, I seem like a normal young man who just was having a good time, who was into music, who was extremely intelligent, who was running around doing everything from poetry to music and tours and going to college and running around having fun and tearing up the town apart with my girlfriends. But then there will always be these episodes and it was always this underlying sadness that I didn't even know was there. And and eventually it led to more drinking and the drinking eventually just became so problematic and dark that it hit that I had I hit rock bottom. Right. And I had to go all the way to the bottom to rebuild my life. But by doing so, ladies and gentlemen, have a better understanding between the link between mental health our brains depression and how we use alcohol and drugs to self-medicate mental health issues and I think that there's a really good scientific understanding between um, drinking and mental health and drugs and mental health and depression and drinking and depression and drugs but somehow that gets disconnected with the addict Right. So we go to our 12 steps, our 12 steps help us, but we don't have any steps to help us on the mental health level after we leave the meetings, after we and this is no attack with AA or anything like that. Follow me for a minute. I'm coming from the perspective of the person that chronically relapse. I'm coming from the perspective of the addict that's actively in addiction that wants to get better but doesn't know how. I'm coming from the perspective of the person that went through the 12 steps and it doesn't work because there's an underlining bigger issue there. All right. We call it a comorbid alcoholism, meaning that it has it has another component to it simultaneously attached to the alcoholism or to the drug addict. So what comorbid alcoholism or comorbid addiction means you could have you have an addiction to alcohol and a simultaneous underlying mental health issue maybe depression maybe schizophrenia maybe mania maybe bipolar maybe dysthymia maybe high functioning depression which is dysthymia um low grade depression um seasonal affective disorder this is that comorbid connection right um and this is what fascinates me this is fascinating because now you could go to someone and say, hey, listen, 
here we go. You have, I recommend you go to detox and get this out your system and restart. I recommend you go to rehab and do some inpatient or outpatient work. In combination with that, we recommend you go to a 12-step program because they really work or a smart recovery program, some type of external program separate from your rehab where you could be in community and you have these steps that really help others, right? And then you have a sponsor and you have something like that. But in addition to that, we think that we should address diet, we should address health, we should address your sleep patterns, and we should look at your brain to see if you have any mental health issues. So you should see a therapist, a psychiatrist, because maybe, just maybe, you may be struggling from some form of seasonal affective disorder, where when during different seasons of the year, you're more prone for to be major depressive, right, to have major depression. All right, and maybe to your psychiatrist, and then we'll look at your brain and test your neurotransmitter levels. You will see if you might need some antidepressants or you might need some cognitive behavioral therapy and something else that could really ensure that you have a whole, um, a whole holistic approach to your recovery, a well-rounded approach where the medical, the science, and the everything all works in sequence. But if you're someone that's struggling from depression and you're not taking, and you don't know that, and you never go to therapy and no one ever diagnosed you and you don't know how the first thing about it and you just kind of feel like you're just agitated and frustrated and sad most of the time, the chances of you relapsing or the chances of you not being successful long term in your recovery starts to, you know, increase because you have this underlying issues with the comorbid alcoholism, if that makes any sense, right? When we talk about anything comorbid, we're talking about it being a simultaneous condition attached to the main condition, right? Or the main disease. So ladies and gentlemen, this is what the episode is about. You're listening to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm so excited to bring this connection. This is all part of our mental health series, bringing awareness. Um, Just as a recap, before I go and cut to a message from our sponsor, we have an episode on dysthymia, which is high functioning depression. And how that that how that um, plays out within the mental health um, spectrum and what we could do there. We have another episode. We talk about disrupted the, the disrupted parietal network and neuroplasticity, right? Which is very important because um, neuroplasticity and depression and how our brains change through trauma and environmental factors and lifestyle factors. We all go through that, right? So our brains are always changing, but we want them to change for the best, not for the worst. Because if they change for the worst, that means you're going to be dealing with a mental health disorder. And that's what this episode's about. We did another episode on music therapy, believe it or not, um, and how music can really be therapeutic in mental health. In most cases where medication doesn't work. And um, we did another episode talking about inflammation and depression, how inflammation in the brain can um, and a body can lead to depressive symptoms and how something like the anti-inflammatory diet and anti-inflammatory lifestyle could lead to improve um, um, 
mental health and decrease symptoms of depression. So we have a beautiful mental health series. We also have some mental health poetry and we have a lot going on there. This is an attempt for us to add to our mental health series and to really bring the message home to everyone out there that's struggling with addiction, whether you're a 50-year veteran, whether you're a newbie in recovery, whether you're someone that's listening to active addiction right now, um, the Sober's Dope Podcast has hundreds, if not thousands of people who listen every day that's still in addiction. And they lit, they call, they reach out to me and say, you know what? Every day, Pop, I'm listening and your podcast is helping me get closer to my recovery. So there's a process. And that's why we're, when I'm really doing these type of episodes, I'm talking to the broken person right now that's in the darkness that really wants to know what may be going on with them. One, two, that is never too late for you to get the help. Three, you're not alone. Four, I've been there all the way in the darkness. I've been all the way. Listen to me. You're not alone. If I could come back from it, you could come back from anything. Because I was all the way there on my deathbed and all of that, right? So this is why we're doing it. And I want you guys to know that if you're feeling uncertain about your mental health, if you feel sad, if you feel isolated, if you feel different, if you don't know why you can't stop drinking, if you don't know why your emotions are erratic and why you're all over the place and why you can't communicate effectively and why you're not eating right or sleeping right or why you just need this drink or this drug just to get through it could be a mental health issue in addition to your addiction and most likely you're allergic right so if you're an addict and you can't stop what you're doing you're hooked you're allergic your neurochemistry your brain chemistry is all wired just for another hit but you can treat that we could treat mental health or we could treat addiction all of this is reversible and we can fix it but we just have to know what we're fighting and what we're looking for so i'm gonna cut to a message from our sponsor again you're listening to the sober's dope podcast i'm your host pop buchanan i'm so excited i love you guys um and we're gonna when we come back we're gonna talk briefly about relapse and seasonal affective disorder um some symptoms of major depression and seasonal affective disorder and we're going to break down some abstracts of what seasonal affective disorder is in a relation to addiction and alcoholism stay tuned i'm really excited talk to you soon Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sober's Dope Podcast. So today's episode, we're talking about seasonal affective disorder, SAD, and it's affected with alcoholism and drug addiction and um, comorbid alcoholism, meaning that for alcoholics who also deal with uh, depressive or other symptoms simultaneously, um, this is something that's really, I think, at the core of a lot of people's addiction. And I think with us bringing awareness to this subject alone, it could shed insight on so much. And there's a lot of people out there looking for answers, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, seriously, there's people like me. I used to, I used to feel like I was all by myself. I was this rare case. I just couldn't stop drinking. I don't know why I just thought it was something specifically wrong with me and just me. 
right? There was something specifically different about me. I was allergic to alcohol. The case, case in point, it ends there. It wasn't, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't a psycho. I wasn't mean. I wasn't, you know, addiction is not our fault. 99.9% of the time, you know, for us addicts, we know what that 1% looks like, you know, but I'm saying in general, we know, and I knew after I learned, I cut myself a lot of slack and that made the difference in my healing, ladies and gentlemen, for me to heal, I had to really learn the facts about what was haunting me all those years and when I realized one I was allergic to alcohol just like a person could be allergic to strawberries or peanuts you know um and then you know you might need an EpiPen if you if you do this this will happen if you drink this is the side effect the side effect of someone who's allergic to alcohol um and drinking is the inability to stop drinking and uh, propensity to binge. And we know binge drinking and heavy drinking is what classifies us as alcoholics. When we drink a certain amount of beverages per day on a regular basis, right? And for me, that was just nonstop. I, once I started, I couldn't stop without medical um intervention or a vital spiritual experience uh, we did an episode called spiritus contra spiritum and this was based on roland h which was one of the founding members of alcoholic anonymous and his meeting with um um the famous psychologist and when he met with the psychologist um Carl Young, which we all know the famous Carl Young, Roland H. met with Carl Young, and it was Carl Young's estimation that there's alcohol is a form of spirit, right? That's why they call alcohol spirits. And they said the only way for you to ride, override a spirit is with another spirit, because it's a war between the spirit and the spirit, and that spiritus contra spiritum meaning that you will need to attack this spiritual issue of addiction with a strong with something stronger like you know what's stronger than that stiff drink it's a stiff dose of spiritual awakening that could shake that person out of their stupor and darkness and that could create a permanent change so when we say that yo yeah you could get a medical intervention and that will get you detox that's what we call detox right you'll be good for the first three days but what happens after you leave the detox and you don't go to rehab but what happened after you leave rehab if you're not healed on the inside if you don't heal the core of your pain that psychological pain, that spiritual pain, that 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 prim that primordial pain, you're gonna probably still have a problem. So the spirit of alcohol is really strong, and you need something stronger to really kill it per, um, permanently. And that's why I thought that um, um, Professor Carl Young's Dr. Carl Young um, estimation was beautiful, and it was the best thing I ever heard. Um, 
Spiritus Contra Spiritum. Amazing. We did an episode breaking down Roland Age, his famous meeting with Carl Jung, the debate between if he was one of the original founding members of AA and how he met Bill W and the importance of Carl Jung and what he meant by that and if Roland H remained sober and what happened to Roland H. Really cool episode. Um, just so you guys know, we don't, I don't number their episodes of the Sober is Dope podcast because it's not a serial podcast and it's, um, it's not necessarily, you don't have to follow it in sequence. It's just, I want it to be like, for anyone so you could be a person that's in active addiction and, get, and go and get to the sober is dope podcast and you'll see all of these different episodes and you will see what identifies with you and that may be the start of healing right so it's no structure you don't have to start at the first episode or the last you could just roll through like a library it's a beautiful library what i call my compendium of resources in recovery healing love life addiction spirituality science um meditation it's all there it's pretty much me wrapped up in one place it's everything that helps me to keep going and everything that helps me to heal so ladies and gentlemen um again i'm really excited to bring this episode to you guys today because this is that one thing that you know is the elephant in the room sometime with someone who doesn't know why things are going badly they just don't know right they just don't know so here we go i want to just break down a little bit more about seasonal affective disorder for you guys ladies and gentlemen because i think in the first part it was an overview of how it relates to the comorbid alcoholism and just uh, um drug addiction but I, let's break down exactly what seasonal affective disorder is. And I'm getting this information from the American Addiction Centers. So shout out to the American Addiction Centers. Here we go. Seasonal affective disorder or SAD is a form of depression that affects some people about the same time each year, usually beginning in the late fall or early winter and dissipating in the spring or summer. SAD is associated with biochemical brain changes that occur when decreased sunlight and changes to a person's internal clock, also known as circadian rhythms. So ladies and gentlemen, we talk about the importance of your circadian rhythms. Your circadian rhythm rhythms is simply the movement of the sun is your body's internal clock. It runs on the same way as a sun. So when the sun comes up, you wake up when the sun goes down you're supposed to go to sleep and what happens is when the sun goes down your body starts producing melatonin and melatonin works in conjunction with your serotonin it helps you to relax and it helps you to get all it's a um neurotransmitter hormone um that helps you to really get sleepy and it helps you to dream so through your melatonin you're able to get into your rapid eye movement and that's how you get into a REM sleep and your deep sleep and that's how you restore your body so if you're up all night you're not working with your circadian rhythms and that could lead to depression and there's a connection between blue light and um and um and um knocking you out of your circadian rhythm so we did also an episode on that there's a really good book called sleep smarter from sean stevenson that really breaks this down so if you i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna put a pin in it if you're someone that's dealing with mental health issues and addiction or mental health issues alone or addiction alone 
and you want some answers and you some you ask what can I do um, that may be helpful it would be to respect your circadian rhythms and make sure you go to sleep and wake up at the same time every day and make sure you're sleeping according to your natural internal biological clock. So you want to make sure when the sun goes down, you start to wind down. And as the sun comes up, you're getting adequate sunlight. You're out, you're exercising, and you're doing everything you need. You're very active in the daytime and you're very calm at night. You have the right amount of time to relax and rejuvenate yourself by respecting your circadian rhythms and your internal by um, biological clock. All right, keep going. People sometimes minimize sad, thinking it is just the normal feeling of being a little down in the winter when it's cold and difficult to spend a lot of time enjoying outside. However, sad is more than that and can be so severe as to impair a person's day-to-day functioning. Per the American Psychiatric Association, about 5% of adults in the U.S. suffer from seasonal affective disorder, and they usually experience symptoms roughly 40% of the year. However, sad occurs less often in people who live in places with more hours of sunlight in the winter. Generally, the farther one lives from the equator, the more likely they are to develop sad, which is seasonal affective disorder. According to one study, less than 2% of people surveyed in Florida experienced SAD, as opposed to almost 10% of those surveyed who lived in New Hampshire. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, 5th edition, the DSM-5, ladies and gentlemen, the DSM-5 is our friend, all right? That's the mental health manual. That's where um, the Psychiatric Association classifies all spectrums of mental health um disorders it's in the dsm-5 which is the diagnostical and statistical manual of mental health uh, mental disorders um sad is not a separate disorder but rather a type of major depressive disorder okay core major depressive disorder with seasonal pattern so the seasonal affective disorder is like depression that happens on a in a um seasonally so you know you could feel good certain part of the year maybe you're a person that really comes you're really alive you come alive in the summertime you come alive in the spring and somehow around uh, fall and winter you just hit a sunken place and it always happens or you just a different person half half of the year now i just want to stop here for a minute for us in the recovery community can't you see how this can really lead to a slippery relapse type situation or um it could lead to an increase in um a substance use disorder because this happens every year and if you don't know you're suffering from this you could be falling in this trap every fall every winter where you come you you just this you're happy one moment and you just crash the next and unless you go to a psychiatrist and um you take the necessary test you may not know so i encourage everyone if you if you feel sad if you feel depressed 
And it doesn't always have to be fall and winter. You, it could be the other way around. You could be a person that come alive in the wintertime and then crash during the summer. But if you if you think this applies to you, try to go see a um, psychiatrist, all right? Try to see what's going on. Um, take a blood test. Try to see what your serotonin levels are, your neurotransmitter levels. You know, you want to take a dopamine, see if you have healthy dopamine levels, healthy serotonin. See what's going on. Because this could be the answer to all of your problems. You could, you could take it. You could go on treatment and then this could um decrease the chances of you relapsing or getting sick or staying in addiction so this is the purpose of this episode and forgive me i'm really passionate about this i know it's a lot of information but i'm just really trying i'm talking to you guys from my heart man there's a lot of us out there relapsing there's a lot of us out there that's really celebrating our victories and then we're crashing. And for the majority of us that's maintaining our recovery, we know we have to do this every day for the rest of our lives. So it's an ongoing fight, right? And this is a real powerful tool to have in your arsenal for you to know the difference, for you to know that this exists, this could, this may apply to you. This could be the difference between your success or failure. This could be why you relapsed last year. This could have been why you can't stop drinking. This may be the cause of it all. You know, you may be suffering from major depressive symptoms or major depressive disorder, and that's leading you back to the bottle or back to the drug of choice. All right. So let's keep going. Symptoms. All right. Symptoms of major depression. And the reason why we're talking about major depression is because seasonal affective disorder or SAD is part of uh, is categorized as a major depressive disorder. So we're just going to look at all the symptoms of major depression um, to bring it all under one umbrella. Depressed mood, feeling hopeless. All right. Hopeless. So let's stop. Let's talk about this for a moment. You know, a lot of us in our addiction, we feel hopeless. We, our lives is messed up. We just blew the last five years. I always tell my girlfriend that I regret smoking weed in high school. I always tell my girlfriend that. I'm like, that's the one regret I had. I, re- I went to a really good Catholic high school. You know, we I was fast-tracked to be, you know, I could have went anywhere in the world. I could have went to Yale, could have went to Harvard. Didn't matter. But, you know, I just think having smoking weed, you know, as a junior and senior just threw me off. And then when I went to college, <clears throat> you know, it was a thing that the young kids do. You know, everyone smoked pop. We all was like little hippies, right, in our own little way back in the 90s. We smoke our little weed, have our little beers and stuff. But, you know, what happens there is that throws you off, right? And then later on in your life, when you are struggling with addiction, you tend to look back at your past and you start having regrets. You start doubting yourself. You start feeling hopeless, like time is against you. You know, you ruin all of these things through your addiction and how you're going to really be successful now. What are you going to do when you start panicking? And then you kind of, you build up this guilt and this resentment for your past and coupled with hopelessness, you tend to get back into a depressive disorder, a depressive mood. And I don't want that for you guys. So let's leave the hopelessness alone. And let's just kind of like focus on being optimistic. Like, so we're going to reverse the hopelessness. And we're going to say every time we feel hopeless, we're going to shift it to optimism and say, what what's going right for me? What could go right? And then we're going to throw some gratitude in there, right? You know, we have the sober as dope RX gratitude shirts. 
are the gratitude posters. We all talk about you get your daily dose of gratitude because that can shift you from a state of depression and hopelessness back to a state of mindfulness, right? So keep that in mind. Feeling worthless. Again, feeling like you went from zero, a hero to zero, and you just feel like crap, man. You feel like you just ruined everything and you don't feel accomplished. So we talk about Abraham Maslow have something called the five hierarchy of needs. One of those hierarchy of needs is feeling accepted, feeling accomplished, feeling like you're successful, successful in your life. And you have a sense of career and family and love and all of these things are working. And you feel accomplished and you feel like you are contributing to life in your community and you're you are um uh doing the right thing and sometimes you can feel worthless plain and simple you can feel like you're ineffective i want you to know that doesn't help you in your bottom line but if you're experiencing these symptoms it could be part of your major depression part of your seasonal affective disorder lack of interest in previously enjoyed activities this is a big one I've seen this in dysthymia also, which is um, high-functioning depression, all right? This is for people who's the CEOs, executive teachers, dancers, whatever. You have a high, you, you know, you seem totally normal, but you're, you're depressed, but it's a high-functioning form of depression, right? I see that here, lack interest in things you previously enjoyed. So you could be a person that always loved to go skydiving. You have skydiving posters. You have, you're the biggest, you're in every skydiving forum. And one day you wake up and you don't know why you just have no interest in skydiving. But you wouldn't notice it. It would be kind of like in the background. You could just wake up one day and say, you know what? I haven't even thought about skydiving in the last two or three years. What the hell? Meanwhile, you missed a skydive or you missed a skydive. So that could be a symptom that you're dealing with a major form of depression because you just lost interest in something that you may love overnight. And it may not it may not really be the case that you lost interest because you dislike it. You just may be dealing with depression. So you don't even have the attention span or the memory to even deal with it, right? Or the energy to deal with it. So look out for these symptoms, ladies and gentlemen, because these are indicators on where you may fall on this, um, you know, on the spectrum of depression and that whole thing with uh, your major depression, whether it's low grade, high grade, manic, bipolar, low high, whatever, wherever you are, it's based on you being able to kind of, you know, self-monitor yourself and see where you're at. Okay. Lethargy and increased fatigue. If you're tired all the time, you hear this a lot, especially in New York. I'm in New York. You hear people say, Oh, I'm tired, man. Oh boy. I'm tired. You just call anyone. That's, that's just anyone. You call them. How you doing? Oh, I'm tired. That's everyone. I'm tired. Right. But sometimes it's just, it's just a, a, a statement. It's just a sentiment that you're busy and you have a lot on your plate. But if you really can't get out the bed, if you don't feel like brushing your teeth, if you're not motivated to take a shower, you know, because you're, you're lethargic and you're really drained, and this could be a form of depression. Agitation and sluggishness, problems concentrating, sleep problems, changes in appetite, or significant unintentional changes in weight. All right? So you may be jump, you just may just jumped up by 30, 40 pounds and don't know why or lost a lot of weight and don't know why. It's unintentional. You weren't on a diet. You weren't trying to gain to hit the gym. You just kind of jumping up and down, maybe a form of major depression. And suicidal thoughts and or attempts um, is another symptom 
of seasonal affective disorder, major depressive disorders, ladies and gentlemen. So now I want to stop and say this. Think about the whole episode. The sad alcoholic, the sad drug addict, right? Think about relapse. Think about your addiction in the past if you're in recovery. Think about it all. Now, think about all of these symptoms we just read and imagine if you're going through these symptoms, it's going to increase the chances of you relapsing or it's going to make someone probably want to drink. So that's how close mental health is with addiction. If you're depressed, you're sad, you're lethargic, can't sleep, agitated, sluggish, you can't concentrate, you know, you can't eat, you don't want to eat, you don't know why, you feel thoughts of suicide, you just feel like crying, you just don't feel accomplished, you don't feel, you feel hopeless, you feel, come on. That's what fuels addiction in a lot of cases. That's what could take someone that's in recovery out of recovery. And that's what could keep someone that's in active addiction into active addiction. But we have to talk about this more. We have to raise the awareness of the connection between major depression, sadness, and addiction. They're all one and the same. And I want you guys to know this so you could be, you know, ahead of the curve. I want you guys to win, and I just don't want us to recover. I want us to thrive in our recovery. I want us to smash in our recovery. I don't want. Chill. I get sad sometimes. I get depressed sometimes. Even in my recovery, is I'm never thinking about drinking. That's not on the table. We're not playing with that because I we know everything we need to know. We can make a clear decision. I know alcohol can't help me in any way. Drugs can't help me in any way. Get out of any rut I'm in, any depression I'm in, any sadness I'm in. It's not the answer. It's not going to help me. It's just a dead end promise. I know that, but I want you to know that now. That's why we're doing the podcast. If you're out there and you're struggling, I want you to know there's hope. And the road that you're on is a dead end every time. It's a, and it gives you a real promise. They say the devil's a lie and addiction is a lie. No, no. The devil's extremely honest. Addiction is extremely, extremely honest. It's going to lead you down a dark road. You're going to crash. You're either going to die, wind up in jail, or lose everything. It's not going to help you with anything. It's not going to give you anything. And that's the promise, right? But they dress that promise with a lot of, oh, let's go grab this drink and go on vacation. Let's hit the bar. Let's some wine. Let's take a load off. Go grab a cold one. All of this bullshit that sounds flowery, but it leads to disaster, right? And that's why I want you guys to know the difference and the truth. The truth is addiction is a dead end and it's bad for you. And it's not the answer to your mental health issues or your sadness or your depression or your divorce or that breakup or what happens when someone goes through a major breakup. Everyone wants to take the person out to drink. I always ask the worst idea in the world because you're going to take someone depressed and pump them with a bunch of depressants called alcohol and expect them to feel better. But when they wake up the next day, they're going to feel worse. They're going to have to really just work it out. You have to work things out naturally in your natural state. 
right so let's just wrap this up ladies and gentlemen really seasonal affective disorder episodes occur during the summer months so they saying really but that's that so it could be anytime let's just put it that way for some people it could be summer fall winter spring but it's most likely around a more um fall and winter months all right so but it can occur in some cases in the summer although it is much more common during the cold dark months or late fall winter or early spring whether the person experiences sad episodes during the winter or summer months makes certain symptoms more likely those who suffer from sad episodes in the coldest season may be more prone to sleeping too much lack of energy overeating and weight gain craving carbs withdrawing socially or hibernating that sounds like me sober though and i don't think i'm still sad i, I really just like sometimes I, I like to sleep a lot but that's that's probably when i go really hard on working on something i tend to give myself a lot of rest and recharge because lack of appropriate sleep can lead you could do more damage than good all right individuals impacted by sad episodes in the warmer months may be more prone to eating less than normal and losing weight problems sleeping agitation anxiety and violent outbursts risk factors in addition to living farther from the equator so the equator means we all know what the equator is right but for anyone who doesn't the equator is, is it separates the earth through the prime meridian and all of that and it's and the closer you are to the equator places like africa and all of that is you're closer to the earth's core and it's usually warmer that's the warmest areas most sunlight the sahara and all of that africa you can just think of the african continents and how beautiful they are and all the animals and the whole you know the pride lands and all of that they're closest to the equator but for us on the like we're in the east right we're fur we're really far from the, the equator not russia far but we're far so we have a temperate the city is far so for me living in new york we had long winters long falls and these short summers so we have to be very careful because our winters are at least six or seven months right so we have to be like oh you know sometimes it could really stretch it feels like a whole year of going through a new york winter or east coast winter and you go more um north that you didn't like massachusetts and all of that and it's even worse so depending on where you are like if you're in florida and you're closer to the equator you're gonna probably have less dramatic symptoms related to the seasonal affective disorder doesn't mean you still can't be affected by this all right um age seasonal affective disorder can affect people of any age gender females are more likely to be diagnosed in fact, women are diagnosed with SAD four times more often than men. I'm going to say this. I just think women are smarter and seek treatment more than men. That's why they're diagnosed more than men. Most men are really prideful, and we're not going to really go to try to see a psychiatrist to address feeling sad. Most likely going to try to shake it out, drink it out, or just do it on our own, which is not a good idea, man. We got to really, if you, if you, for the, my guys who's listening, all of the brothers of the Sober's Dope Podcast, listen, man, there's no reward for being macho. You're just going to hurt yourself. You deserve love, too. So go get checked, man. Go see a therapist. Go check. Go, you know, go see the brain doctor. 
Make sure your neurotransmitter hormones are healthy. Make sure you're playing with a full deck. Also, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say trauma and major depressive disorders go one in they're they're one in the same. Meaning, if you hit your head recently, when you was a kid, if you was in an accident, as a young adult, if you're in an accident, if you was in an accident recently, somehow somebody hit you over your head, you fell, you was in a car accident, you kind of fell and bumped your head, but it seemed like it was not too serious. And if any any form of contact with your cranium and your brain it could affect a major depressive disorder it could affect your mood it could affect your psychology everything it could affect your neurotransmitter hormones and this happens through neuroplasticity we did a whole episode on neuroplasticity it's how our brain changes due to environmental factors and life factors right so someone dies in your life your brain can change and that's a form of trauma someone hits you and you get in a fight your brain can change that's a form of trauma so emotional trauma is just as um, critical as physical trauma so you have to always keep in mind if you think that you may have been hurt and you may have had you know it's a possibility go get your head checked out because that could be leading to um, your mental health issues, which could be fueling your addiction. All right. Family history. Those with family members who suffer from any kind of depression are more likely to develop so seasonal affective disorder. All right. So that's pretty much a lot. All of us. I, I mean, come on. We all go through depression, but it's just different levels of it. Right. So just keep that in mind. This is not just for the addiction community. This is for anyone that's listening. It's not just about addiction. All right. Um, however, seasonal affective disorders only diagnose if the seasonal depressive episodes notably outnumber non-seasonal non-seasonal seasonal episodes. Sorry. So that means that you know if your depressive episodes go real crazy a certain part of the year, and they outweigh those same symptoms. For the rest of the year, then most likely you have the seasonal affective disorder. So if you know every winter you get really chronically sad and sleepy, you don't want to be with anyone and you're going through a whole identity shift and you come out the summer a whole new person and you know that, okay, this is this is definitely a seasonal issue. But the overall thing that I want you guys to know is that when we're talking about seasonal Affective disorder, that's a form of seasonal depression. But those same symptoms could be all forms of other um, forms of depression for everyone else, all parts of the year. So you could be someone who could have seasonal affective disorder that's really, 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 really critical during these fall and winter months, but suffer from depression all year round. And you may be manic and have a bipolar component, or you may be slightly schizophrenic, and there's a hundred other disorders that we could go down. I just finished up our book, the My Sober's Dope um, Handbook, and we have the most beautiful mental health prayer, and I can't wait till it's published so I can read it to you guys, because Myself and my older brother, we pretty much wrote this beautiful, comprehensive prayer for specifically for the mental health community. And ladies and gentlemen, when I tell you 
there was over a hundred different disorders that we had to list. It felt like it. I'm not sure. I don't have the right number. But I mean, that list is long and we didn't leave anyone out. We made sure we listed every single disorder so we could pray individually for every single person that's dealing with every form of um, mental health disorder. So, lady, I'm going to leave it here. This is a lot. I hope you guys now have our little mini experts in the relationship between comorbid alcoholism and mental health, right? So, or drug addiction, comorbid drug addiction, because it's just not about alcohol, it's drug addiction also. So if you're on drugs, if you're on opioids, pills, and stuff like that, you could be affected by seasonal affective disorder and depression. And, um, and it could be a host of other things. And it could be, you could be addicted to drugs and alcohol with a seasonal affective disorder and high functioning depression or low grade depression or mania or bipolar. You see what I'm saying? Everyone has their own little matrix of issues, but we have to know that if we don't take care of our mental health, we can't be taking, we can't take care of our addictions, right? So we have to make sure that just like we go to our 12 steps and just like we put our meetings um, at the forum, just like we're in the forums and just like we follow the 12 steps and stuff, we have to also make sure we're seeing our therapists, we're going to annual checkups, we're making sure we're eating healthy, we're taking the right vitamins and minerals that we need, that our brain needs, we're getting adequate sleep, we're exercising, we're drinking enough water, we're practicing prayer or mindfulness, and we're taking care of ourselves. Because your mental health, if that goes, we don't have anything. We don't have anything. If you lose your mind, you're done, okay? You're done. And we know. I was there. I almost lost it all. I almost lost my sanity. I almost lost my life. And the moment I understood how important my mental health was in relation to my addiction, my success level for of sobriety shot through the roof. Because I said, I'm going to take care of everything now. I'm taking care of myself for real. And that's a form of love. And when you ignore all of these possibilities and you, you, you abuse your mental health or you don't acknowledge it and you don't take the steps to try to rectify it, that's a form of abuse. And I don't want you guys to abuse yourselves. I want you to love yourselves and be good and heal. You're listening to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. I'm going to stop here. I love you all, and I'll catch you on the other side.